You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. The following program is rated TV MALSV. It contains strong language, sexual situations, violence, and nudity. It is intended only for mature audiences. got a story to tell. Perhaps a never-ending story? So let's get this thing back on track and tell you all about our adventure going to Grand Comic Fest 4 in Grand Island, Nebraska and hanging out with the star of the never-ending story, Mr. Noah Hathaway. And here with all the details you need to know, Corey and Mikey, here we go. Hey there, remember us? <laughs> Are you okay? I'm, f- I'm better now. Good. Getting warmed up. I am I'm getting my vocal cords going again. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, we, it's been like a month. It has. So if, if you've forgotten or if you're new to the show, I am Mikey. I'm Corey. And we are here with the Retro Renegades Pop Culture Power Hour. I, you know, after all that time, I actually got the name right. You did. It's impressive. I don't know why we call it hour, because we usually ramble on for about two to three hours. Yeah, we do. I think it's just a catchy thing, and it was a nice idea in the beginning. Yeah. And now we I think can... our first episode was an hour. <laughs> I know. I think the first one even went long. But it, now we can't really change it now, because it's kind of established. Mm-hmm. And it can't be like the Retro Renegades Pop Culture Power Hours. Hours. Or so. Or so. Yeah. It just wouldn't work. One hour or more. Or more. Yes. So, yeah, we haven't been around for like a month. No, fuck no. We've been busy and... Yeah, oh, we were busy. I think we missed the first week because we were busy getting ready for our adventure. Yes, we we did have a good adventure. And then the second week, we had the adventure. Yep. And then the third week, I think you were sick. Maybe. I I think... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got sick. And then the fourth week, I stayed up too late. (laughs) <laughs> the night before we were supposed to record, and I couldn't do it. That's, that was the night I I went to work and had too much pre-workout. Yes, it was, and you were pooping. Yes. Yeah. I threw up, and then I went home and pooped for a little while. Oh. It wasn't quite an hour. Yeah. It and was then, an and then I was like, well, now I'm hungry. So It was the, pop, the Retro Renegades Pop Culture Potty Hour. Potty Hour. Yeah. So I got hungry. I was like, well, let's see if I can hold down food. And I ate a whole pizza. And it, it went well for you. It did. I was fine. So, I guess uh, we, you know, we should probably talk about our little adventure we had. We did. We had a great adventure. It was amazing. We went uh, about, what was it, about two hours away Yeah, from, from where we live here. We stopped at a truck stop. We did stop at a truck stop. Or no, rest stop. That was on the way home. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so... We uh, we went to the Grand to Grand Island, Nebraska, to the Grand Comic Fest Four, where we 
set up and basically we, just talk to people. We had a huge setup. We had a huge display. Everything to catch people's eye. Five tables we set up. Yeah. We went out there to uh, basically just promote the show. We were, we were going to do some recording, but we ended up just having more fun reminiscing with people. Yeah. And, well, we had a table. We had of, three tables of video games. Yeah, we had we had three different video game systems set up. We had uh, your Sega Genesis. Yep. We had my Atari. Yep. And we had um, our friend Moose donated or, or uh, loaned us his Nintendo. Yeah. And also on that uh, that television with the Nintendo, we had a Roku set up, and we watched cartoons and wrestling. Yes, we did. Which was a blast. Um, I got to watch WrestleMania three, which is one of my favorites. I, I sat and watched that a little bit. Yeah, and uh, the first Survivor Series, which our neighbors around the different tables, the vendors appreciated because they were wrestling fans. And yeah. they, said, they, they came up and said, that was awesome. We got to watch wrestling the whole weekend. I'm like, yeah, hell that's yeah. Great. But we also had some of our personal toys and personal collections out there. Uh, shit, you had what? Snake Mountain was out there. Yeah, Snake Mountain, a couple Transformers, My, my Pet Monster. I had a bunch of wrestling shit out there. Uh, some autograph photos just to... Bring people's you know minds to the the time frame that we we're kind of talking about, and a lot of people. What I found amazing, the people would would walk by, and we had like a whole corner of this area that we had some other podcasts were there. We had like the biggest spot in the whole area. We had the biggest spot in the whole con, I think. Yeah, and it it just kind of organically grew because it started out they're like, which table do you want? We're like, well, we'll take this one right here on the end. That grew to, well, can we grab another table? And they finally just said, do whatever you want. Yeah. So the other podcast went to the one side and built their little corner cap of their shows. And then we took the other side. <laughs> and my God, it was, when we started building it, it's like, well, here's this table with this big TV on it. That's all we need here. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to have people interacting with that and messing with that. So let's not put anything else here. And then the next table was another TV and another TV. I was like, oh my God. This thing just started growing on us, and we just went with it, and we had a hell of a nice uh, display, I, I would say. Yeah, it was definitely, it definitely got people's attention. What I thought was cool is people might walk by, and they would, they'd see something, and they might be like, oh, cool, oh, cool. Oh, my God, I used to have this. Yeah. And it was something different for each person. You know, they might see the My Pet Mantra and go, holy shit, I, I remember that. And their kid, you know, they would have their kid or even grandkid with them. Yep. And they'd say, what is that? And like, listen, I had this. This was what I wanted for my birthday. And I finally got it when I was 10 years old. And to see people sharing those memories with their children or grandchildren. It was amazing. Priceless. <laughs> and that, I, the best thing for me on that was watching the little kids try to play the Atari. Oh, that was great. They would get so pissed off. And... There was, <laughs> I had one kid. I don't know if you were at the table or not at the time, but I, this one kid was trying to play Donkey Kong on the Atari, and he's just laying into that joystick. Just, I mean, almost like ready to snap it. Yeah. And I told him, I said, "Dude, I said you don't have to go that hard. Yeah, just, just, move just barely move it, and it's going to do the same thing as if you go easy or go hard." And he's like, "But it, it won't go. It's too slow." I said, "Welcome to Atari." Yeah. 
And that's what we had back in the eighties. And that's how it was. It was. It didn't work. It was laggy. It was shit. You know. But it, we were glad to have it. It's fun to play now. Yeah. Well, they would get bored with that. They'd move over to the Sega, play something that they were more familiar with. I think most of them played Sonic. Sonic was the big hit over there. When the Nintendo was on, the kids knew how to play the Nintendo. Yeah. And they started fighting over it. So I turned it off and put wrestling back on, and they all just dispersed. Yep. Um, but the one of the greatest moments, and I don't think you were over there, when that kid was playing and he was really laying into that joystick, and he, he finally kind of got the hang of it, and he played a little bit better with it and he got done and he said this is really cool he said i've never seen an original nes system before oh yeah and i said guess what buddy you still haven't because this is an atari and his eyes got really big and he goes oh my god i didn't think those were real i've heard about them i never thought they were real wow and he was just like staring at it like i mean like it was like, almost like he was in a museum seeing, like, a T-Rex skeleton, yeah. you know? He was just staring at it, like, oh, my God. Like, I just got to play with this this thing that I've... This ancient thing yeah, that with I've, wood grain out, with wood grain trim. Yeah, like, like I'd only heard of, I've only heard of these in stories, and I just was playing with it and didn't even know. And the parents that were bringing their kids over were saying, this is what we had in, in not your grandparents, in our grandparents' yeah. basement. They had one of these. And this is what we played with. There were people bringing people that were maybe in their twenties and thirties, bringing a kid over that was like six years old, seven years old, sitting him down, and saying, "We played with this when we were your age." Yep. Here, run him through a maze of Pac-Man, or shoot him on the tank game. You know, we had a handful of games, and just seeing those moments and knowing that this show is what brought that moment to him. Yeah. Was so, so fucking rewarding. That, that's what I loved about it. Yeah, it was awesome. And of course, we played video games too. I sat down and played some Atari. And I played a little bit. I watched cartoons and watched the cartoons. Um, I was just happy to get some food and sit down. Yeah, I tend not to eat at those things, so you were like, oh, "I need to eat." <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then remember, Donnie. We had we had the Nebraska Wrestling Hall of Fame there with us. Yeah. And Donnie, amazing guy. He brought me. A bunch of little tiny things of peanut butter. Yes, that that's what you got you by those little things in Jif. And that was the other thing. I think that Donnie had the biggest display there. I, yeah, I think he actually did because Donnie, I think, used eleven tables, and he had tables coming away from the wall where he made aisles and displayed every piece of memorabilia that that we have. Yeah, uh, had a, a nice uh, crowd that gathered to. Oh, he had to a, he had a good crowd, and then. Yeah. When he did the his um, panel, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of upset that not a lot of people showed up. But he got to do that, walk through that one one on one to show that lady that was with him, that girl, yeah, every single piece that they had. And they spoke about every single member in depth. And the funniest thing was, uh, there was another uh, wrestler that was there with him, that you know, from the from the actually the Grand Island area, um, he went. He, he was there for that little walkthrough as well. Oh, okay. And he had worked with a lot of the people that you know, were in the Hall of Fame. And that's when we unveiled, Donnie has worked very hard to make it an interactive display. Yep. So if you have one of those code readers on your phone, you can walk up and there's a, you know, a thing that says, you know, like Bad Dog Vashon, the sign. And it might have a few of his career highlights and then there's a code there. 
and you can scan the code and it will take you to the page on the website that has even more pictures and even oh, more wow. things and videos and this and that. So it's very interactive. So he was saying, yeah, this is very interactive. See, so you can scan this and see it brings up this. She's like, oh, that's really cool. And so as they were going through, one of our newest inductees, uh, Preston Maxwell. Yep. Uh, they were talking about him and the other wrestler goes, you know, he, the guy took a picture of them talking about Preston and sent it to him. And he, then he goes, ma'am, I want to show you just how interactive this uh, this Hall of Fame display is. Preston Maxwell just sent a message telling you hello. That's awesome. <laughs> as, as they're talking about him, Preston gets the message, sends it back and says, tell her hello from me. And, and she was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so just the, the, the memories that we got to share and the, 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 the memories we got to give yeah. to another generation that had never seen some of this stuff was amazing. So, and one guy buy one of my Transformers. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I was like, all right, yeah. Yeah, sure. let's do it. <laughs> but that's what makes doing this show worth it, yeah. is we, we know that when you listen to it, it's bringing up memories. We know that, you know, people send us messages or will, we'll, you know, comment on our Facebook page and say, we, you know, we loved such and such. Or we remembered this. But to get it firsthand, awesome. And we hope to be back. We hope to do other displays at other conventions as well. Because, I mean, that, that you can't buy that kind of stuff. No, I mean, we could have sat down and just done our show while we were there. Yeah. But we wouldn't have gotten the same reaction or I guess not the same reaction, well, it's but the, the same joy. Yeah, the reward. Yeah, you know, it, it could have been like, yeah, we're here, but we were actually present there instead of just just there, there. And yeah, it was it was a blast. And to hear some of the people just you know talk about, oh, we 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 had this, we did this. Do, do you guys remember this? Or we we even got some. We had a lot of people say that they had your Grover book. Oh yeah. Yeah, the monster at the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that lady tried to buy that book that my first grade teacher gave me. That's right. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I can't sell that. Look, my first grade teacher signed it to me. You know, I've run a, I won a reading contest to get this. Um, but yeah. The, that the, was last year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, my first grade teacher's a cool lady. She keeps tabs on me. You beat a bunch of first graders. At reading. <laughs> <laughs> I think first graders actually probably read more than I do these yeah, days. Yeah, my, my daughter reads more than I do. But... Aside from that, I mean, did you have any other memories or experiences just from our, you know, interacting with the the attendees, the the, the fans? I I, t I went around and I did you know we did a couple panels and I got to talk to um, Larry Houston. Okay, yeah, Larry Houston, very he was a very quiet guy, but very very nice. He did the uh, the original artwork for the uh, Masters of the Universe comics back in the day. Mm -hmm. He did the animation. For the beginning of X Men, the animated series, and the GI Joe the movie, and GI Joe the movie. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, just talking to him, got his autograph. He signed my my uh, mint on card Stinkor. Yeah, and he got he got excited when I handed it to him. He's like, "I did this comic." Yeah, I was like, "Yes, I know. That's why I brought it." <laughs> but yeah, super nice guy. And then I, I terrible because I, I talked to him more than anybody. Uh, the the husband and wife. The Leewalds. The Leewalds. Super nice people. Yes. It was uh, Eric and Julia Leewald. Yep. Yep. Uh, and they did uh, X-Men, the animated series. They were 
kind of they had their hands on everything. They did RoboCop. Yeah, so they cartoon. did some some of these cartoons. They did animation on some of these cartoons. They did storyboard. Some yep. they did the actual script. Some they were the editor or the producer. Or, they had their hands in everything. Well, they've got they brought back th- them and Larry. Um, what was it Disney is yes. bringing back the X Men animated series. They brought them in as, as consultants. Okay. So it's going to be all the same kind of artwork, the same storyline that's going to be, and then it's going to continue from the very last episode. Oh, wow. And it's called, uh, was it X-Men 96 or X-Men 97? So, yeah, it's going to continue from that storyline on. And just the, the little bit that I got to talk to them, it was interesting because we had just done that episode on the Disney afternoon. Yeah. And they were heavily involved in that. And I think everything we talked about, they did. Yes, they they, and we've talked about a lot of their work, you know, with the RoboCop, with the Gummy Bears, yep. with you know the Ducktales and and Chippendale, they all did, of it. They the, did the Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. They had something to do with all of that, and we learned that the X Men the animated series was largely responsible for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh no, kidding! Because they saw that's what. Gave Marvel the idea that there was a value yeah. in producing something to do with their comics. To tell the story in some sort of fashion. So that's what brought, you know, they had, you know, the different, like the X-Men movies yep. and the, the the different movies that came out. That's what kind of kickstarted it. So these people are very influential. Oh, yeah. And they were so nice. Very nice. And so happy that you wanted to talk to them, you know. Uh, like I said, I had very brief interactions with all of those folks. You had more interaction with them. You had more, but that's more your wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, and you had more, uh, you, you went in and kind of went through their panels, at least attended them and kind of oversaw them. Yep. Um, I think you introduced them and then I came in and, and just kind of maintained order. Maintained order and helped with the questions. Yeah. Or at least got the questions rolling. Yeah, I was always when I'd walk in there, I was always the first one. Like, anybody got any questions? I'm like, yeah, I got one. And yeah. then, and then it would just go from there. Because well, nobody ever wants to speak up and say, "Well, my question was dumb," you know, and be the first one. Yeah. If you ask any question, no question's dumb. Yeah, no, there's no dumb question, especially dumb when answers. you're when you're a fan, and yeah, you want to know these things, and it doesn't matter if they've answered it a hundred times. If you haven't heard it, you want to know. Yeah. And so nobody wants to be that first question. So it's it's nice to have somebody in there to be like, I got a question. And you're knowledgeable enough toward you know what to ask. So, you know, that was a good thing. We did our own panel. Yeah. Which was fun. We had a great time. We had, we had like four people in there. Yeah. I think it, in in all in total, I think at the by the end, we had like six people. Yeah. And so we just had a discussion. It wasn't like us sitting up here. Tell, we, we did educate. We, but our thing was more bringing up memories, just like we do here. So we talked about Saturday mornings. Yeah. Started out with cereal. What kind of cereal did you eat? What was the toy in the cereal? And we had, we, people were interacting with us because we were like, you know what? We're not just going to sit here and talk to you. Yeah. We want, this is, we're having a conversation, guys. Yeah, we just want to talk. So it was like, uh, it was like us doing this show with the people who are listening to the show having live feedback yeah. and talking to us. And then we went into a bunch of cartoons, but we didn't do the typical cartoons. We talked about the Cowboys of Mumesa. Which we still have not watched. Yeah, yeah, we still have not watched that. 
uh, we talked about Turbo Teen and some of the more off-the-wall cartoons. Rubik's the Amazing Cube. Yep. Um, uh, we did bring up Ghostbusters because the guy in there, the couple in there, they were dressed up as Ghostbusters. Yep, yep. So we brought up the Ghostbusters and just had a great conversation with people. And hopefully some of you folks that were at that panel are listening to this show now. You've been eagerly awaiting a new episode to drop. And so here, yeah, here, here it is. Go. But yeah, overall... And we want to thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming out. And talking to us. And thank you to all the people that did stop by and take a, a card or shared a memory with us. Because, I mean, that's the, it was fun. We, we had fun. We had some rad, badass stickers. We did. We and did. the kids loved them. The kids loved them. And hopefully those stickers are... Rocking somewhere. All over Grand Island. All over Grand Island. Uh, yeah. Had some good food while we were there. The peanut butter burger was Peanut butter burger was amazing. amazing. I had a... Uh, what was the name of that place, man? Um, McAllister's? Yeah, something like that. It was a little Irish pub. Irish pub. They had the best burgers and the best fries you've ever oh had. Oh, my God. Fries. Those fries were awesome. They were kind of like a curly fry. Yeah. But they were puffy. Oh Almost my. like wedges. It was like a cross between a potato wedge and a curly fry. Because they were spiral cut, but they weren't thin spiral cut. They yeah. were thick spiral cut, and then they, when they fried them, they puffed up. I think they were battered. They oh, were good, amazing. Um, even even they were so amazing that we went back the second night to eat at the same place. Yeah. and try something different. I think we yeah, I think we ate there twice. We ate there both nights we were there. I, uh, and then we went next door and played the giant Space Invaders game. They had a, an arcade uh, bar. Next door, I think what was it called like One Up or something like that, Player One or something. Uh, but they had <laughs> that fucking Space Invaders game that we played. It was probably a ten foot tall screen, yeah, at least maybe maybe taller, maybe fifteen. It was floor to ceiling, and then it was probably a good four to six foot wide, yeah, big enough to where. You didn't play with a joystick. You sat down on a bench, and two players had cannons. They had actual cannons that you held with two hands and aimed and had triggers on it. This Space Invaders game, it was like if you took Space Invaders, mixed in Centipede and Asteroids, because some of the aliens would break into smaller aliens and go wild, and then they would come zipping down through the screen... And also Missile Command. Yeah. Where they were shooting missiles that you had to shoot. It was so much going on. We It was a dollar a piece to play. And we played for probably, what, 15 minutes? Yeah. I, I know I was sweating at the end of it. I was dizzy and sweating. I did find one in town at the Amazing Pizza Machine, which is a wild place to go. Oh, it's expensive. It is. But I played that game with Charlotte. Oh, it was so much fun. Dude, we played that. I think we played two rounds. And then she's like, I'm bored. Let's go do something else. <laughs> but they had all retro games there. Um, and there was nothing mod. There was no brand new style games. No, no, the, the newest ones that I saw would be like uh, the Street Fighter games. Yep. I think Street Fighter, Tekken. Those, I mean, so nothing maybe 2000 on. I, yeah. They didn't have. Um, and a lot of the games were you put your money in and then you had like 10 games to choose from. Yep. So, not a very big place, but literally probably thousands of video games to choose from in maybe 20 or 30 machines. Yeah. And the one was projected up onto the wall. 
so the Street Fighter. Was the Street big, Fighter, or that was the uh, was that the X Men versus Capcom? I think they had they had m- multiple games in that. So it was all the fighting games: Street Fighter, Tekken. I think there's Soul Calibur, uh, the Marvel versus Capcom. But you sat like in the middle of the the place was where the control panel was. Yeah, and it projected across the room. High up on the wall, so even if somebody was walking, you could still see your game and play. Yep, what a great place! That was awesome. And right in our in our wheelhouse, right in our our genre of things we talk about, we got dropped back into the eighties arcade scene. Oh yeah, that's, it was and awesome. that's just what it reminded me of. Yeah, not the the floors weren't nearly sticky enough. No, um, but speaking of sticky floors, dude, they are remodeling Chuck E. Cheese. Really? Yeah, that's awesome. And they're talking about doing it years ago, but now they finally started remodeling it. That's great, because that, that was always a fun place. Well, they had the same carpet that they had when it was showbiz. It, which, it was not good when it was showbiz. No. It was, it was gross. But I think the, the, the one guest that... Well, first, any other thoughts on being out there in Grand Island and, and the trip and all that? It was We just had fun. Yeah, we had a great time. I mean, didn't oh. have really anything to worry about except for our hotel room. Our hotel room. Which was recommended to us. Thanks, Moose. Yeah, thanks, Moose. Yeah. I told him <laughs> if we found a bed bug, I was going to put it in his beard. <laughs> we checked underneath the mattresses for dead hookers. Yeah, and, and needles. Yeah. Because that's the kind of hotel it was. Um, it still had an old towel hanging in the shower. Around the shower head where it leaked. That's why it was there. Oh, no shit. Yeah, because that, that towel, that washcloth was soaked. The shower head was leaking, and that's what was stopping it from spraying. That's funny. Um, the sink was falling apart. Yeah, literally. Literally. There was it, a lock on the refrigerator. mini fridge. Yeah, and then the, the microwave was filthy. was disgusting. Um, we had no screens on the windows. Nope. And, and then we had our, the local... We think we, we, we uh, suppose it was the local fucking drug dealer camping out in the parking lot. In an actual camper. Yeah. Um, because there were cars that came and went from that camper all times of the day and night. And uh, there was a lake out back where he was fishing. Yeah. So, the uh, oh, and let's remember that we got put in a smoking room. And we later found out the entire hotel was a smoking hotel. And... The whole room had kind of a yellow tint to it. Oh, yeah, when I pulled the picture off the wall. We pulled the picture off the wall, and that was a bright white spot behind there. So we had a nicotine-coated room that we had to uh, prop the the window open to air out Yeah. so we could sleep at night because of the smell. But we were only sleeping there. We didn't spend any time there, so we figured, what the hell, it was cheap. We'll go for it. And the people below us didn't go to sleep till Sunday morning. Yeah, they partied from Friday night till Sunday morning with music and... Uh, whatever activities they were doing down there, we do not know. It was polka music. There was. There was a, it was a wild scene. It was. But great time. Uh, we did not touch much in the room. The, not, the, not unless we had to. The telephone was yellow. Yeah, it was. And it was supposed to be white. Like, the earpiece was white, but the rest of it was yellow. <laughs> it's so gross. But uh, that's part of the experience, you know, I guess. The bed was comfortable. The bed was very comfortable. The shower was great, uh, except for the leak. It was, you know, warm. It, it was everything that Moose promised us it would be. Oh, it had a heat lamp in it, but it didn't work. Yes, there was a, there was a, a heater in the bathroom uh, to, to warm the, the air, but it didn't work. Uh, the air conditioner worked well. 
But it was everything that, that Moose promises. He said, he said it's less expensive, the beds are soft, and the water's warm. That's pretty much all we needed. That's for. all we needed, and that is what we got. I don't think we're going to stay there next time. We're going to stay at the one where it's got the pool right outside the door. Yeah, we'll stay at the one that everybody else stayed at. Yeah. We'll pay an extra 20 bucks a night. Because <laughs> it would be worth it. Yeah, there was a pool in the middle of that hotel yeah. that Donnie stayed I just in. Jump off my jump off the... Or prop the door open and do a cannonball. Run out and jump over the railing. Yep. <laughs> so, now the, the one guest that I think we had the most interaction with... Well, you did. I did. I didn't get to talk to him very much, because every time I went over there, he was busy talking to people. Right. Well, he was pretty popular. Yeah. That's Noah Hathaway. And Noah Hathaway, I mean, he was involved in a lot of stuff. Um, primarily a child actor uh, back in the uh, late 70s and throughout the 80s. He, Super fucking awesome guy. Oh, amazing guy. Very, very nice. Um had his girlfriend with him. She was very nice. Uh, we 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 just kind of hit it off. I think both of us hit it off with him. You know, your interactions you had with him were all pleasant. Yeah. Uh, listen, we'll run he down. He thought I was there to whoop somebody's ass. Well, yeah. Well, you guys talked about weightlifting. Yeah. Because he, he was a weight trainer. Um, but we're going to run down like it. Because he did a lot of TV work in the, in the 70s. Uh, he was... On, he played Boxy on Battlestar Galactica. And he, you know, he did some commercial work before that. Talked about, you Who know. Who was Boxy, the robot? No, Boxy was the, the kid. Oh, I've never, I've, dude, it's been a long time since I've actually sat down to watch Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, they get those and Buck Rogers confused. Okay. The robot's name was Tweaky. Okay. And that was um, Felix Silva, who also was um, Cousin It in the Adams Family. That's right. Uh, and had a lot of, of other roles. But you'll hear later, he and Felix Silva had a very close relationship. Um, he actually had a pet monkey given to him for a year and a half. Oh, no shit. Because in the robot dog, there was a monkey. There was okay. a chimpanzee. So they wanted the, the monkey to bond with him. So they basically said, here's your monkey. And you'll hear about more about that later. Um, just because it was an amazing story. Uh, he's a never-ending story. Well, that's later. <laughs> <laughs> he, other highlights, I mean, he was on Eight is Enough, Laverne and Shirley, Chips, Simon and Simon, CBS Story Break, Family Ties, and the one that he really talked about a lot was Mork and Mindy. Now, a lot of times he was on one or two episodes of these shows, but he struck up a friendship with Robin Williams, that was a lifelong friendship. And he, I, I, not knowing this, the second day I wore my Mork and Mindy t-shirt and he went apeshit. He loved it. And he talked to us about um, how Robin Williams gave him his Mork suspenders. And he still has them. That's fucking cool. And he and Robin Williams would get together a couple times a year on purpose, like plan out and have dinner. But they would run into each other at different events. Yeah. And whenever they did, they would buddy up and hang out. And when he got old enough, they would go have drinks after whatever show. Or they would go have dinner. But purposely, they would get together once or twice a year just to maintain their friendship. Yeah. Which is really cool, you know. And he had some great great stories that he told. about Just about how cool hanging out with fucking Robin oh, Williams. That would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. But 
you probably know him more for his movie work. And so we'll talk a little bit about his movie work. Um, let's start at one of the more recent ones, and then we'll work backwards. So in 2012, he was in Sushi Girl. And I watched some of Sushi Girl. Really cool film. Kind of a mafia-esque, yeah, without giving too much away, kind of a mafia-esque um, tale. Very uh, Quentin Tarantino style style i uh, it had uh tony todd from candy man he plays like a mafia boss mark hamill from star wars and he plays kind of a accomplice to the mafia this heist that they had done he and he played a really really rotten character in this, yeah which is kind of cool to see and i thought he was unrecognizable in his a fat suit yeah, he was. He, he had long, greasy, blonde hair, and uh, just it was not a, a typical Hamill role, and he played it beautifully. Uh, it had Sonny Chiba in it, and Sonny Chiba, um, big martial arts movie, kung fu style movie, yep. almost like a more modern take of Bruce Lee. Okay, and uh, I haven't seen this movie yet, so I got to check it out. Yeah. The whole premise, though, is... is it a nice family movie? No. Okay. No, lots of graphic violence uh, and nudity throughout the whole thing. Oh, sweet. Because um, the title role, Sushi Girl, um, it's Courtney Palm it was the, the actress. She is the sushi plate, basically. They put sushi on her, but as they're putting it on her, obviously she's in a mafia-type setting, these guys are have all been involved in a heist that they are reconvening to talk about because Noah Hathaway's character named Fish just got out of prison because he took the fall for it. Yeah. And they're reconvening to discuss what's next. So Sonny Chiba tells the sushi girl... Sonny Chiba just died last year. Yes, he did. Uh, he tells her basically... Your eyes see nothing, your ears hear nothing, and your brain remembers nothing. You are primarily a decoration here. And I'm sure that she's going to play into it more. I just haven't finished the movie. But amazing movie, and he speaks about it uh, more like during his panel. Yeah. And the reason we're not going in depth on a lot of this is because he did a panel that was recorded. And we're going to play that because it played out more like an interview. Because it was just he and I... Just bullshitting. Talking. You know, he kind of was telling a story, and I kept the story going. I kept bringing up points or asking questions. Uh, because he was comfortable just doing that. Just having a dialogue that people would listen to. And then he opened it up for questions from the audience. Yeah. Which we got some great questions, too. But we want to play that for you in the second half of this show. So we don't really want to ruin a lot of it. So, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Let, da, da, da. Let's move to uh, a little further back in his career. 1986. He was in a movie called Troll. I love Troll. I've seen this movie once. Uh, and it was a long time ago. See, now, most people talk about Troll 2. Because Troll 2 is known as the greatest worst movie ever. Really? Yes. Because it's just, it's, I'm going to say it's a bad movie, but 
It's enjoy, it's an enjoyable watch. Yeah. It's just a cheesy ass movie. But he was in the original. It's a horror comedy. Um, it was produced by Charles Band, who Charles Band you would know from Full Moon Productions. Yep. This was not Full Moon Productions, though. This was Empire Pictures. This is before Full Moon. Yeah. It, and uh, the reason that, that Charles Band even made Empire Pictures and Full Moon, he was upset with the way that movies were being distributed. So he decided that he was going to make his own company. Yeah. And it churned out so many good cult classic movies. Um, you know, like the Puppet Master series, the uh, Ginger Dead Man. Which is awesome. I love Ginger yeah. Dead Man. Ginger Dead Man. Evil Bong. Yes. Um, Doll Man, the Demonic Toys. That's the kind of films that they made. And Troll is... Just off-the-wall horror. Yeah, just funny, bizarre. bizarre, campy, cheesy horror movies. That's what we're about. Well, that's, that's what I enjoy. This movie... Um, Phil Fondacaro plays the troll. And he sp- spoke about Phil Fondacaro and kind of their friendship. It, it seems that Noah struck up a friendship with everyone he worked with. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. And that kind of speaks to his character because he was a very friendly guy. And a very likable guy. Yeah, he was. Extremely likable. Sonny Bono was in this movie. Really? Yeah. This is before he was mayor? Uh, yeah. Because this was in 86. Mayor, he was like the mayor of Palm Springs? Yes, he was. Uh, or was he a cop in Detroit? One of the two. One of the two. Yeah. I, I think he was a mayor. That's a Beavis and Butthead reference. What was it? Yeah. Maybe some blood experience when they, they do uh, I Got You Babe with Cher. Oh, yeah. Like, wasn't he a cop in Detroit or something? <laughs> no, he was the mayor of Palm Springs. That guy's a, that guy's a douche. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of is. <laughs> so, the idea of troll. Uh, oddly enough, Noah Hathaway plays a character named Harry Potter Jr. And they move into a... They move to San Francisco. They move into this new apartment. And the sister is attacked by a troll with a magic ring. And the the troll captures the sister, Wendy Potter. The movie was... The movie takes place in San Francisco. Yeah. But it was filmed in Italy. In Italy, yes it was. Which they look nothing alike. Nope, not at all. I think it would have been cheaper to film in San Francisco. Um, Maybe. So, I, the troll captures the sister and then takes on her appearance. So, she's acting oddly and the other people notice it. So, they just start, all the tenants of this apartment start transforming into fairy tale-like characters. Sweet. And, you know, there are goblins and nymphs and elves. Their apartments would turn into a lush forest. And Harry Jr. goes and finds this... Hello, old, Mr. Potter. <laughs> he, he finds this older woman that is kind of mysterious. And it turns out that she's a witch. Ah, she's a wizard. Yeah, well, was, she, she, was she the teacher in Harry Potter? I do not know. I... Was it Dumbledore? <laughs> no, it was not Dumbledore. 
they are trying to re like restore humanity, re restore the fairy tale world, and that's how you know the the movie kind of progresses. Um, they basically Noah Hathaway's character of Harry Potter Potter Junior is the one that has to restore balance to these two worlds. What if Troll is the sequel to the Harry Potter franchise movies? Because it's Harry Potter Jr., so his dad is Harry Potter. Yeah. I just blew your mind. Mm, pretty much. And see, there's wizards and elves and stuff like that, and witches and elves and goblins and demons, and there's a villain. Yeah, it, it makes sense. This is just... It well it it does have uh, a lot of similarities to the Harry Potter books, um, and I'm thinking the the lady who wrote the Harry Potter movies was a fan of this. Well, she was accused of borrowing a lot from the troll movie, and uh, including the name, because it all predates the Harry Potter books by several years. Oh, almost by a decade. By a decade, and all of a sudden, all this. You know, all this stuff ends up in these books. Um, yeah, it, a lot of the people that were involved in Troll have said she didn't just think this shit up. <laughs> she borrowed it from our movie. Yeah. And I think that there were... Uh, I think that there was a little conflict and controversy about that. Maybe some legal action, but it didn't really uh, come full circle. So, it also spawned, as we said, uh, Troll 2 and Troll 3. Yep. But they really don't have a lot of ties. They're just, they're just sequels to Aside from the name. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Troll was great, and when I brought it up, he just started laughing. He goes, you really want to talk about that? And I said, I love that movie. And he goes, oh, God. And he went into it. Uh, the reason that he uh, made Troll yeah. is because... We're going to talk about Neverending Story in a bit here, probably next, but uh, and that's not going to be our main focus of this part of the show. But uh, the the reason that he made it is because when he made Neverending Story, he he and his entire family relocated to Germany. That's where that was filmed. Huh? That's where it was filmed, and there were a lot of very traumatic things and very stressful things that happened to him during the Neverending Story. Yeah. So, when they were done, it was like, I, I need something to let me up. However, I still need to work. So, he signed on for Troll, and his family got to move to Italy. Okay. And he lived, he basically said, I got to hang out at the beach in Italy for a while. That, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Teenage kid in the middle of Italy. Yeah. Oh. Well, he wasn't in the middle because he was on the coast. He was on the coast of Italy. Somewhere. He was on the tip of the boot. Oh, man, the tip of the boot would be awesome. Or maybe the heel of the, the boot. Heel. Um, I'm not quite sure where he was. But he said, yeah, it was just, I, it was goofy, it was funny, it was fun, and that's why I did it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Troll is a fun movie. Well, it's, and that's why a lot of these actors do these campy, shitty movies like this, because they're, they're not made to be serious, and you can goof off. And, yeah, and make money. Yeah. You know, you're still, you're still working. Um. Yeah, but that's, what, that's why he did it. And like I said, a lot of the stuff we're glossing over because he goes in depth in this panel, in this interview that he did, and I don't really want to ruin a lot of the stories. But uh, 
Anything else about Troll or the rest of his career that you want to mention? I mean, you're you're familiar with these things. Yeah, but a lot of these, like I said, I've only seen maybe once and a long time ago, or like haven't seen it all. Yeah. Well, he. he I mean, other you know, super just. I thought he was a super great guy. Very very nice guy. Yeah. Very nice guy. I wish I would have got to talk to him a little bit more, but I was trying to stay out of his way and let people let him make his money. And right. And, you know, he he was the type of, of celebrity and uh, guest that you didn't just walk up, get a signature, and leave. No. You walked up, you talked, you, you reminisced with him, you asked him questions, he told you stories. And just a very personable likable guy like yeah, I said. Oh yeah. Um and everybody seemed to want to talk to him about the never ending story because everybody has seen this movie. Has seen this movie. And like I said it was filmed in in uh, Germany. And it uh it was based on a book that was written in, in 79 and it took them until 84 to actually make the movie. So the never-ending story. Do you want to speak a bit about it, or because I know you've seen this. I've seen it. Um, I mean, the, basically, the synopsis of the movie is was that this little boy goes into a bookstore, finds his book. The owner says, "Hey, you know what? You can't buy. You can't take this book." Snags the book anyway. Yep. And this book is like fucking three feet tall. It's a huge book. Yeah, and it, it's like he tries to stick it in his backpack and it won't fit. And <laughs> he goes home. He takes the book home and he starts reading it while he, uh, at night. And he ends up going to the school and fucking reading it because he's hiding from the bullies. And it starts at one point. Doesn't his grandpa read some of it to him as well? No, that was that was um, the Princess Bride. Okay, that's right. That's with right. Columbo. Yeah, that's right. Fred Savage. That's right. The Pit of Despair. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Where were we? That's right. That's where I got confused. Okay. That's a great movie, too. It is. Um, anybody want a peanut? Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> no more rhyming now. I mean it. <laughs> anybody want a peanut? Damn it. Now I lost my thought. Um, um, so he stole a book. He, he was stole a book. He's, he's reading the book at home, and he ends up in the school, like, fuck, I don't know, the attic of the school? Uh, yeah, something like that. It was like a... Like the tower of the school, he's hiding from the bullies because he doesn't go home. Which I don't understand why the parents were not looking for him. You know, yeah, calling the school. Let's fucking look for this kid. He's missing. Yeah, but it was eighty five or eighty six. Um, we did that kind of stuff. We back did that then. shit all the time. We fucking yeah. didn't come home for days. Yeah, but he's as he's reading the book, it starts talking about him. Mm-hmm. And he starts freaking out. And he's like, "What the fuck is going on?" And he figures out that he has to finish this book and he has to give the child empress a name. Yes. And, which I had a crush on her when I was a little kid. <laughs> she was, she was just like, that was like my first crush. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, ends up calling out the name and then, if you haven't seen this movie, I'm sorry, but... They they give him they give him a gift and they give him Falcor the dog dragon thingy with weird nipples, voiced by Alan Uprimer. Fucking a, yeah. Megatron. Yep. Skeletor. No. Yeah. 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 But yeah, he was Skeletor. Yeah. Yeah. 
I get him and Frank Welker. Yeah, that's what I do too. Yeah. But I mean, and then he, like, they dive bomb the bullies, mm-hmm. and that's the end of the movie. So the kid reading it is like imagining the land. Yeah. And Noah Hathaway plays Atreyu, who is the person in the story. Yep. So these two worlds eventually do merge, but what a great movie. And it's still a beloved movie. One of those that is kind of traumatic to watch. Yeah. Um, there are certain things in this movie that really stick, I mean, still kind of stick with you. My favorite part of this whole movie is the rock eater. Yep, the rock biter. And when the giant turtle sneezes on a tree. Yep. <laughs> it's such a, uh, just a impressive movie and... The fact that the movie was made in a time where there was not CGI. Well, Jim Henson's crew had a huge part in this. And they also had to build all of their sets because they he said there was there was no such thing as like green screen technology like we have now. Not back then, no. They had blue screen. He said if this movie was made today, I would have been in a room with green walls, green ceiling, green floor... And little dots to look at. Yeah, and just like a, a tennis ball or a person in a green costume to yeah. look at and, and deliver my lines to. When he was delivering lines, he said, I was the only person on set acting for most of this movie. Yep. But I was not alone because there were puppeteers that I was interacting with. There were puppets that I was and animatronics that I was interacting oh, with. Oh, and the statues with the big boobs. Yes, that shot the lasers? Yes, I did like them. Yeah, I'm they, sure they, you they did. They got my attention. Yeah, I'm sure. That, yeah. At the ripe old age of six. Yep, and f- formed your... Been down, it's been downhill from yeah, there. Yeah, formed your, your life to this point. I like ladies with big boobs that shoot lasers. <laughs> yeah, yes, you do. <laughs> so, some of the, the, the tales that he told, and like I said, I'm going to let him tell them, but... I want to touch on him. He was nearly killed on this movie several times. Oh, fuck. Um, was one on the tar pit? Yes. Uh, the first one was when they were training to you know, get him ready to do the movie. Uh, first off, he, he had to audition for this movie three different times because they changed directors oh. several times. And he had to really tan for this movie, too. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, they, at one point, Steven Spielberg got involved. However, he did not direct it. Um, Probably just a consultant. Yeah, he he mentioned Spielberg was in on the casting at one point, but they went in and it was you know different dis- disputes. So he would he auditioned, and then they were training him how to interact with the horse, and the horse got spooked and tried to jump over a fence and caught its legs on the fence and rolled over on top of him. Breaking his back. Oh, shit. Himself. Noah's back. That's why he had such back issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was uncomfortable. He had to sit in a recliner for a lot of the weekend because his back was bothering him. Oh, wow. And, uh, but yeah, he had a broken back. And so he had to be in traction for several months. So that held up production. Yep. And then when he got done, they had changed directors. So he had to go audition again. And do another whole casting call. And he got the role again. 
And then there was another dispute. That's when, I guess, Spielberg got involved at some point. And... Uh, you had to get Dad involved. Yeah. And so when when they did the third go-around... He's like, what do you need? I'm in the middle of making t- Temples of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Temples of the Lost Ark. <laughs> with, a, with a crusade, with a skull. Um... So when 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 they did that third round, I guess I uh, he went through a whole other casting call and got it a third time. So he obviously was the choice. Yeah, for you know, he was the perfect choice because they had every opportunity to pull him out of it. Um, but that was the first time he you know he probably should have either been more injured than he was, or or possibly killed. Yeah, in the the, the tar pit where we unfortunately had our traumatic scene that sticks with people to this very day when the horse actually sinks under the tar pit. Oh, because he gave up. Because the horse gave up and... and uh, the nothing got him. Yeah, he, he uh, it was the uh, the bog of sorrow. Or, yeah. And the, the horse got sad and, and sank under the, uh, the, uh, the, the bog. The bog and, and you had a tree crying and screaming. And you know what, though? That was better than... I'd rather have the bog of sorrow than... The one in Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, that farted? The one, yeah. Yeah. The eternal stench. What would you say was more traumatizing? The horse dying in Neverending Story or Optimus Prime dying? Optimus Prime. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I still cry when Optimus Prime dies. We had people during this uh, panel when he was talking about the horse, like, tearing up. Adults tearing up. Oh, God. And I... then that's you'll hear it in the interview. But Noah basically says, "You guys had to watch it once. I had to do like twelve or fifteen takes." And he said, "And bring that emotion out." And he goes, "I'm still in therapy over this." Oh my god! He said, "I you know he goes it's still it, it it's just stuck with me." He goes, "I know it's an acting job, but that was so rough that he said it still you know bothers me to think about going back to that time." And. That was the second time he nearly died, because they they took a warehouse, a gigantic like auditorium, and they built this mud pit with ramps and platforms in it to where as he walked you could see him sinking in. Yeah. Well, he was just like walking down a ramp, and they were using dry ice to make the the fog fog, and when you get below the level of dry ice, there's no oxygen. Oh, no shit. Yeah, dry, the dry ice was sucking the oxygen. Oh, I didn't know that. So he got down there, got lightheaded, passed out, and fell under the mud that they had filled this pit with. He said what he remembers is getting lightheaded, and the next thing, he's waking up, and they're like, had like a spoon type thing, and they're digging mud out of his throat. Holy shit. He was drowning in mud. So he nearly died there. Uh, so broken back, then he nearly drowns in mud. Then, Falcor was an animatronic. Yeah. And it was in a blue screen room, so they could put the background in behind him. And it worked similar to a green screen, but not as smooth. Yeah. So, they needed to get the faraway shots. They needed that Falcor about 15 feet in the air with him riding on the back. So, they put him up there. He said they had crash pads, and they had put in... uh, Empty cardboard boxes. They'll they'll make the cardboard box. Yeah, and that will cushion your fall, so you're not just falling and hitting that crash pad. that crash pad. 
So he said they had all that set up. And the problem is the face, of course, was was animatronic puppet, but it was remote puppet. Yeah. He said they had the body was on like a crane type thing. Like a scissor lift, probably. Type, yeah, kind of. And he said when it uh, would overheat, the tail and the body would just start going haywire. And it bucked him off several times. Holy shit. And so then they... Did they think about putting a cooling system in that thing? No. They did put a handle on it under the fur that when it started doing it, sometimes in the movie, you can see him reach out and grab the fur. He's grabbing the handle that they put on there. Oh, no shit. And so it didn't buck him off anymore. And he said it still would throw him around. And he said a couple of those falls were a little dicey and they they injured him. (laughs) But he said it was just insane being that far up in the air. He said it's kind of scary. And then you're on basically a wild animal that's trying to throw you off. Like ball riding. Yeah, yeah. So he said it was just a wild time. And he said all these things, it was just emotionally taxing on him, physically taxing on him lasting injuries that he still has to this day. Yeah. Uh, that's why he did troll. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. But, I mean, this this movie, amazing soundtrack. Plus, track. I was reading on, on his stuff before, on his personal stuff, it said he was, because uh, he was, what, 16 when he did that movie? Uh, uh, Never Ending Story? Yeah. I want to say he, he was, was even younger. I want to say he was like, 71. I want to say he was like 12. We're not gonna. We suck at math, especially age math. But okay, so seventy one, he was born, right? So he was like fifteen, sixteen. Came out in eighty four, so seventy one to eighty one would be ten. He was fourteen. Yeah, he was like thirteen, fourteen when he did it. I said he was doing dance and martial arts, and he had to quit a lot of that because of his injuries. Yes. Yeah, because he was. A, he's a kickboxer. Yeah. So yeah, we we talked a little bit about that just off to the side, you know, because my martial arts training and. We, we talked just, I don't think we talked during the uh, the panel, but we talked off to the side about martial arts a bit. Um, and I like kung fu movies. So. And you like kung fu movies. You got to talk to him about weight training and all that. Um, just an interesting, interesting dude. And I, I hope we cross paths again because... I'm sure we will. Yeah, we, there's a couple events that we were, we've been considering going to if we can get ourselves invited. And he's going to be there. So I would love to cross paths with him again and just hang out. Um, this movie, one of the more beloved movies of the 80s, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, still relevant to this day. The movie still kind of holds up. Yeah. There was a second one, but wasn't it the kid who was the hero instead of Atreyu? Yes. And it loosely followed the story. Because it was just like a continuation of the story. Kind of... Yeah, I think there was even a third one. Really? Um, wow. I'm thinking so. Yeah. Let me uh, let me look here because I, I believe there was. Yeah, there is uh, in 1990 the next chapter part two came out, and that was it, only chapter one. Was the first one? Holy crap! That's a big ass chapter. And then uh, Neverending Story, part three, Escape from uh, Fantasia, in '94. Oh, that's right. That name of it was Fantasia, the place where they lived. Yes. And then the nothing because. It was like what kids were, I think the whole thing was kids weren't, weren't reading anymore and there was no imagination because there was kids were playing video games yes. and shit like that. So the imagination was going away and that's what the nothing was. Yes. So the reason that there were, there were two, the film, the original film only adapted the first half of the novel. Oh, no shit. 
the second movie took on the second half of the novel, but it used it for inspiration instead of a literal adaptation. Yeah. And then the third one had nothing to do... It was an original script. Had nothing to do with the book because they had completed the book. Now it was continuing an original idea. And these movies got increasingly worse as it went on. Nothing will stand up to the first one. No. Um, Like I said, still beloved. Even as recent as just a couple years ago, uh, the soundtrack made a comeback. Oh, no shit. In Stranger Things. Oh, it did. That's right. That's what uh, uh, Dusty Buns and his uh, his his girlfriend on the, the shortwave radio would sing to each other. Yeah. Turn around. Tell me what you see. Oh, the Never Ending Story 3 looks terrible. In your eyes. What was meant to be. Dusty Buns. Memories are everywhere. I don't even know if I have the words right. You know, I'm just going to go with I can see them in your eyes. Jack Black is in Never Ending Story 3. Written on the pages of a never-ending story. That sounds right. Ah. Dude, this this never-ending story 3 yeah. looks like a bad version of the movie Return to Oz. Oh man, we need to cover that sometime because that's a scary I love ass movie. That movie. Oh, that was, that was, that was another traumatizing movie. We need to cover that sometime. I got my girlfriend in it. But, Return to Oz. Mm-hmm. Who? God damn, I have terrible names. Fuck, I don't remember his name. He doesn't know his girlfriend's name. We're not, we're not that close. <laughs> Time and distance. Time. And <laughs> we. She was in the craft. We went our own separate ways. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Furs of all. For, yeah, yeah. She was uh, Vicky Valancourt in uh, Waterboy. Yes. Yeah. Vicky Valancourt. She showed me her boobies and I liked them too. See, full circle. Yes. <laughs> so, what What do you want to say about the never-ending story? I mean, just a beloved movie? Beloved movie is one of the, you know, like a, like a childhood favorite. Yeah. And... I think pretty. Uh, yeah, they had them they had that cool emblem with the snakes, which I think they stole from Conan the Barbarian. I think so too. I think so too. Snakes? Did you say snakes? That's a different movie. I hate snakes. No, that's cool. That's Conan. He's like two snakes, one snake, two heads. Oh, I was thinking of Indiana Jones. Snakes? I hate snakes. I hate snakes. I hate snakes too. So, anything else you want to talk about with Noah? The experience we had out there, or the never-ending story? No. I think we covered a we lot. Kinda we kind of covered everything. So I think it's a good time to take a break, though. We will take a break. And then... Uh, I gotta pee. Yeah, we'll take a break. And we're going to come back from the break. We're going to have the audio from the Noah Hathaway... Uh, Dude, listen to this. Okay, yes. I'm not going to say anything. I got something in my boot because I have a hole in the bottom of it. You got a rock in your boot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a rock in my boot. There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> it's a rattlesnake. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, we're going to take a break. Let him get his boot straightened out. Let him go pee. My boot's fine. I just got to pee. And then uh, we're going to bring that audio of Noah Hathaway, and then we'll be back afterwards to uh, to say goodbye. Goodbye. So, uh, here's a break. See you in a minute.
When you get up, you get a drink. You really ought to stop and think about the way to quench your heavy thirst. The refrigerator is loaded, but before you grab a soda, why not try a big wet glass of water first? Oh, water is a drink that you can trust. No one's ever lost tooth from us. So try to drink six glasses. Sit down between your classes when you're thirsty. Reach for water. You know you really ought to. It's the best no-calorie drink in all the world. All's quiet in Sparkle City, Captain Cleanup. Not quite, Kid Coolid. Look there. Okay, okay, we're taking over the neighborhood, see? You, Big Daddy Dirt Pile, drop candy and gum wrappers. And you, Sammy the Slop, throw empty cans around. And you, Filthy Frank, foul up the water in the air. Stop! You'll not mess up this town. No! That's it, boys. We're through. <laughs> That's where you belong, in the waste can. Make All-America Sparkle City. Put litter in its place. Once upon a time when the world was filled with wonder, little creatures shared the earth with humans, and magic was a way of life. Once upon a time is now. Empire Pictures presents Troll, the weirdest, the rowdiest, the most mischievous, and the scariest little creature of them all. What he's doing is going from apartment to apartment and transforming sections of this building into different fairy worlds. Where the hell are you? The transformation is going to begin on the Witch's Sabbath, the very same day that the Potters move into their new apartment. I've never seen so many guys take so long to move so little furniture. It's all your records, honey. You've got to get rid of some of these records. Sometimes I wonder what I'm going to do. No, there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. What the Potters don't know is that they've just moved into the building that is the enchanted gateway to the ancient world of Troll. Just at the damn door. It's dead! Harry Jr. is about to be drawn into a world beyond his wildest fantasy. And he'll need a little magic of his own to get out of it alive. Jr. expected to have a little trouble getting adjusted in his new neighborhood. But he never expected anything like this. Troll, where myths and legends come to life.
one night about a quarter to nine. Really? And the gang had said goodbye. And they're on the corner all on his own. Stood our friend, Willie Survive. Take the bus, cause it took him right past home. When he missed the bus, his friends are gone, and now he's all alone. Will he survive? Will he survive? Will he survive? Yeah, Willie always carried emergency change. He used it to come home. Hello, Dad. Can you pick me up? And you should always do the same in case you need to phone. What is the secret of this enchanted book? What wonders are hidden within its pages? What magical spell does it cast on all who read it? What is the secret of the never-ending story? But that's impossible! Enter a world where a young boy's imagination becomes a vivid reality. The world of Atreyu and Artax, the Rockbiter, and a good and kind gnome. A world that is vast and eternal, treacherous and dazzling, unforgettable and free. For anyone who's ever made a wish believed in a fantasy, or had a dream, this is The Never-Ending Story. Good morning, glad, for, uh, glad you came out to uh, see Noah Hathaway's panel. My stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't think I need to introduce you or tell you what he's done, because he's going to do that for me. So please... Ooh. Okay. Give it your attention. Give it up for Noah. Oh shit! Well, yay! Oh, I started. Oh, I was. Oh, this. I love how Steve Martin started. I was born a poor black child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start my book that way because my buddy was like, "God, you have a million stories, and you have a. You just cool, like just funny, weird, disturbing, <laughs> crazy stories just from being around." I mean, I, I started, I'm born in 71, I started, I got my SAG card in 1974, so about three and a half years old I started working, I did a Pepsi commercial, I was like a Kennedy evidently, and like a Pepsi campaign was my first thing, and then I just, I'd probably done 70 commercials and blah blah, and so I've been around a long time, and you know, you see, it's, Hollywood's a weird place, and you meet weird people, and they do stuff, and so he's like, you've got to write a book. So we started writing just all my stories down, and, and I think we call it funny shit to read while you're shitting. <laughs> and just make it a funny little story, little flip-through book, you know, nothing serious, and, and just all Hollywood stories and my stories and never-ending story stuff and stuff I heard about other people or whatnot. So that's kind of how my panels go, too. We just kind of tell funny stories or, you know, we have people ask questions about stuff they want to know, and... I tend to just have very zero editing, so, so I just pretty much answer what everybody says, you know, anybody asks, so. 
Yeah. Uh, like, I love this shirt. And I was like, oh, I still have this. Is, I did a Mork and Mindy when I was eight years old. And we stayed friends for 30 years on and off throughout the years. I still have a suspender somewhere from He gave me his <laughs> cool. suspenders. Uh, man, he was just brilliant and cool. And when I did the never-ending story, he was shooting Moscow on the Hudson on the same, the same, at the same studio, at the various studios in Germany. And so we would have dinner and have some, you know, have some conversation. I mean, I was you know, a little kid, 12 still, but he was just, yeah, went to, went to dinner a couple times on the never-ending story. And then maybe four or five years later, bump into each other and, oh my God, let's go have another drink, dinner, whatever. Yeah, he's utterly brilliant. Was. You uh, started out very young on Battlestar Galactica. That was, yeah, six years old. Six years old. I had no front teeth, <laughs> which is kind of weird. You, you literally grow up in front of everybody. I had no front teeth when I, I think when I did the audition, I just lost. I mean, that's a, that's a baby. What the crazy? Yeah, I mean, no front teeth. Funny story, there was a kid, so I don't know if anybody knows how the auditioning process works. It sucks. You have to go into a room full of people you don't know. You have to, acting, you kind of bare your butt a little bit. You kind of have to take risks and chant, whatever. And, you know, it's kind of a nervy thing. And it just, they make it really uncomfortable and miserable. So you got to go do this to the casting director. Then they bring you back to the director. And sometimes four or five times you have to go back. And it just, it's always nerve-wracking. So finally, it gets between me and this other kid. And I still remember the kid's name all these years later. It was weird. Shane Butterworth. I put him on blast. I don't care. I do it all the time. Uh, so he go, uh, I, I go up to go, and he kicks me. Like, this is how, like, dude, it's like Nancy Kerrigan and shit. Like, before Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan. He, like, kicks me and, and tries to, like, to go do my thing. And I usually went and handle my business but what a weird thing when your parent has to talk to you about getting your game face on and doing your job at six years old and you ain't got no front teeth strange thing and another six-year-old is kicking right <laughs> but that's and you see it with adults in the entertainment you know what i mean it's just a weird dynamic uh needless to say i had no front teeth on tv and uh it just was weirder down the line like yeah just um well, it stayed with the Bell's Glasses. Didn't you get a pet monkey at that time? Yeah, I mean, who gets that? Who? That's, that's why I, I, I go, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in Hollywood. You know, like, broke my back on a movie. There's all the... Wouldn't, chain, wouldn't trade most of it. When you're like, who? what six-year-old gets a, a chimpanzee for a year and a half? And basically, they just went, here you go. I changed your diapers. I, it was weird. Like, But when I walk onto set, they would go... No cussing, 40-year-old midget on set or on deck is what they would say. I was this little, like, man, little old man. I walked in, professional, and Lauren Green and I would go over lines every morning, which was, that was super cool. He was, like, my grandpa. And I know people were like, oh, we were family. And the other guys didn't mess with me. I was a little six-year-old. They were on a hot show. You know, Dirk didn't mess with a little kid. Uh, But Lauren really, like... Made me his grandson. Uh, that was that was very cool. The monkey was cool. We got to go. He had a the trainer had a place called Gentle Jungle, so I get to go and like, play with tigers and sit on lions and stuff. So like how? Yeah. So and the, the monkey was fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. I have a picture somewhere. You, you know what? I have a picture. I, while you're we're talking, I'll I'll look for it. It takes me forever to find it. Yeah, it, can, it was actually in the. Uh, I'll show the, people. The costume. In the costume, yeah. Of the, of the uh, what was the creature? It was like a dog robot. Well, what had happened in the first episode? In, in, in the pilot, the Cylons are attacking the city, and the tower gets blown up, and my dog gets crushed. So they build me a little mechanical. So they called it Muffet. Or Muffet. There was two names. Yep. Uh, to replace my dead dog, and so it was just this funky little yeah. I, I mean, the the what the chimpanzee had to do was God. I mean, she was in like this this uh, silver suit. It was kind of like what they put the astronauts in under the. It was exactly what they put the astronauts in. It, in fact, it was like it was a, a bottled down version because they had all this like an exoskeleton on all the, the helmet and all those little fur things velcroed on over her and no heat like no air so every couple of takes they have to take the helmet and she'd just be dripping sweat and take after take every now and then she'd like you know you'd hear fart noises from under the hood because she'd be like anxious but or or just you know like she's hot better than all us better than the actors yeah i mean you know the actors are it's a very hard job you walk you hit a mark you say a couple lines you know you try not to suck but like that's you know different Animals. I give a lot of praise to that to her. She was amazing. I tell her. I always say she was more professional than Dirk and Richard. <laughs> but and then it, you know, it looks like you you just kind of jumped around uh, the the TV different television mm. shows. But when you look at the television shows you were on, like you said, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, oh, yes. Eight is Enough, that's funny. Chips. I mean. That that's a, a classic lineup of TV that you had, and a classic lineup of stars that you had exposure to. Yeah, I just I, I I mean I worked I worked all through like you know late seventies, all through the eighties, nineties, and and then my back just at the I broke it on the Neverending Story. <clears throat> so before we shot a frame of film, uh, we were training horses, flew over to Germany, moved there because it took it was over a year to to make so. I, yeah, had to relocate, and uh, they were tra- we were training on some horse, and the horse got spooked and and took off and jumped out of the tried to jump over the fence and flipped over and landed on top of me. Oh! And I broke cracked two vertebrae, my lower two vertebrae. So I spent two months. I don't know if y'all have ever seen traction. So they got you're like in a whole contraption and they're pulling you that way and that way. So I was in that for two months. And I just think being young and I was really active and strong, I just think that, you know, that's, you're pliable and, and able and resilient. I shot for a whole year after that. But, you know, down the line, I'm, yeah, it caused a whole hell of a lot so of So that was right before you even started shooting that film? And so that, did that delay shooting then? Did they have to wait for you to Yeah, reveal? Yeah, but, I they mean, it was delayed anyways. Crazy. Yeah, it was, it was such a big undertaking. I mean, that was like 35 to $40 million movie in 83, which was... <laughs> like unheard of that'd be something like a 300 million dollar movie now um, and they were struggling and having problems with it before that so I mean they had a, a, a um, Spielberg came in as a favor to he knew I guess he knew one of the producers and, and basically saved the project um, and helped do some rewrites and help get it to where it was uh, they had a, a director that was hired before Wolfgang so they, they had some original director and they saw like 50,000 kids, and then I got it after five or six times. And then they fired, they shit canned them, and then they got Wolfgang. And then Wolfgang was having a lot of problems, and then I guess Spielberg came in and kind of saved the day, but I got it again. And so... So you had to go through that all again? 
Oh, a whole year of casting. A whole year of casting, which that's, it's literally, it's miserable. It, it's just such a crappy, like, you're always nervous and, and you know, you're waiting for the, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just a whole year waiting, like, d- dedicated to the never ending story, to auditions and this and that and reading. So you're 12 and you relocated. Did your whole family go Whole family. Whole family. Yeah. Uh, which, I, you know, whatever. It is what it is. It, it was fun. I love Germany. Ah, it's one of the most beautiful places. I still go back any chance I get. Uh, but just in 83, it was a different Germany. Yeah. It was pretty damn close to, you know, that's not that far off. Uh, and and my, my family's Jewish. And my, for some reason, my mom had to send my sister to a Hebrew school in fucking in Munich in 83, which I, I'm sure she's still traumatized by that. You know, they had literally like, armed guards with, with German shepherds and bob wire and machine guns and a little different. So uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, <laughs> but then again, what 12-year-old goes and moves to Germany and I mean, the, the, the set for the Swamps of Sadness were the size, the warehouse, probably two, filled six-foot mud from one side to the other. They made that entire thing. I mean, it was... You couldn't do it again. That's why people just stand in a green box because the it's too expensive, and I don't think most people these days, most directors, have the wherewithal to to take that, to, you know, to take on that undertaking or something like that. Because you know, you used to go to film school like you had one class: Spielberg, Lucas, uh, uh, um, um, uh, who directed Scarface. I'm just trying to. Um, no, but they were all in the same class at USC. Yes. They like went through film budgeting and all that. So you have like the nucleus of our best filmmakers are all pretty much super old. People don't go to film school anymore, really. Like you know, um, I got sucked into a tweet somehow with David Ayer and Quentin Tarantino, and they were like debating CGI. And Quentin's kind of like like CGI. Cool. I like I like it to an extent. Uh, David Ayer was saying, "Well, I, I, he's of the of the opinion. Sorry, I can't speak today. Of the opinion that you should do everything practical and kill yourself to do it, even if you don't successfully pull it off, the audience will appreciate it a million times more than if you just threw a little CGI bullshit up and try to do it that way." I the never ending story was mostly practical, wasn't all, it? All of it? All. There was no like CGI. There was none. There wasn't any. We had blue screen, and that was it. Right. For like the, the, the flight things, that was just the blue screen. They had a, a, the neck and the head of Falcor, and they stuck a crane motor on the back, on the ass end of it, and the neck would articulate like this, and it would overheat and start going like, like, like <laughs> overheat. Yeah, it would. So they had to put an oh shit handle on it, they called it for me. Um, yeah, it's a whole dynamic. I mean, to just see, but but then again, you got like nowadays, an actor walks into a, a green box, you sit there, the CGI has some of your clothes on, even like there's nothing, or you have that where you walk onto a set and it's this swamp, and you're like, what? you're mind blown, you're immediately. You're in in it. that You're right there. big difference, and I, I I see it in films these days, and I know people see it in films these days, and I just don't think like films are cool. They might be great, it's fun, and we go see my 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 buddy does all the Marvel movies. Great, I, I saw one or two, and I was like, oh. there's just 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're great for like once, but they just, I just have no connection with them. You know, the acting is like, I wouldn't say under par, but there's just an emotional content that seems like it's not there to me. Uh. <laughs> you, you just, uh, over at your table, you're just talking about the, the swamp. That's experience yeah, yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, I, I almost, I, they almost killed me in the swamp too, because that scene where Falcor comes down, and I'm going under in the in the mud. So it, that mud's deep, deep. That was you know seven plus yeah, seven feet, and I'm fall of five two at that point or whatever, and I'm going under. But there's no oxygen under the layer of dry ice. It it eats all the oxygen up. So if you're not breathing oxygen, you're you pass out. So I pass out and I go under, and they had the teams come in. And I just remember waking up with them pulling mud out of my throat and mouth. So that's like number two. Back should have killed me. Is it? Yeah, and then they, that scene where they shot the Gamork. So that was a, a big animatronic. I mean, it was a big puppet, so it has an endoskeleton, steel, and then foam rubber on the outside. And I have no idea how much it weighs, but they had it, they had an air cannon up its ass, and they shot it out, and it blew that a 300 pound projectile. And whoever lined that up was either trying to kill me or, <laughs> or just had bad vision. But they shot it off and it la- hit me and laid me out. And I was out for... My dad said I was snoring like Frankenstein. <laughs> I was doing one of those things. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think they were trying to kill me. I don't know if they liked their decision. <laughs> you know what I mean? They get the insurance money. Let's kill this kid on set. You know, but, and I... And I but here's an interesting thing. I would have been killed if I hadn't done the Neverending Story. I had, uh, I, they, they were, I had, what's, how do I put this? Twilight Zone movie, John Landis. I was one of, supposed to be one of those kids that, oh. that the helicopter chopped their, their heads off on. He had the bright idea to try to fly a helicopter on a soundstage, in a soundstage, and killed all three actors. Oh. So. And you would have been there if you hadn't done Neverending Story. Right. I should have just taken a chaplain job. I got the lead on Broadway, uh, leading chaplain on Broadway. I should have just taken that. <laughs> been a nice song and dance guy, but <laughs> I had to go be a movie star. For you know, and, and a lot of times I would I would ask on something you know as impactful as an ending story. Is there anything? Because there were some pretty intense scenes. Is there anything that stuck with you? But obviously, they almost killed you a couple of times. So Near death you. experiences tend to you know leave an imprint. But what? <laughs> Most people probably, uh, you know, saw this film when they were younger, yeah. and that, the, the scene where you lose your horse was pretty. Uh, it's still, it's still <laughs> chokes me. Okay, it still gets yeah. me. What, what? Okay, what was it like to film that? And what? Uh, you know, what was it like? It probably uh, wasn't as sad to do it, right? Well, you right. were crying in you that. We watched it that last for night. Two weeks. Uh huh. Fifteen hours a day for two for you know six Monday through Saturday for two weeks. Y- y'all had to watch it for like ninety seconds. Right. <laughs> and everybody went to therapy. I put a I put a I got a bowl at a convention like four years ago, and I wrote, "Anyone who went to therapy, take a buck." By noon, that my little bowl. I put like a hundred bucks on ones there. That was gone. I know some people probably took one, but. I mean, I have people like fall out and cry in hysterics when they see me. I was in New York last year, and two big ass bikers that were like six three, six. I mean, everybody looks six three to me, but um, walked up to my table, all tatted up, and then fell out and started sobbing. So I get up and I'm hugging these two big ass bikers, and they're snotting, and I mean, like not a little like tear, like a 
Anthony Hopkins tear like a legit traumatic experience crying. Man, there's yeah, there's there's just something about the movie. Like yeah, it's been almost forty years, but there's something about the movie that connects people. Like I've never seen any movie do it. I, I just haven't. You know, and I go to these things all the time. I have like my friends with Mark Hamill and uh, you know other actors that have big movies. Or I just never, I just don't think any of them have ever impacted as many people. It's crazy. And just the emotional uh, connections is and deep. And the song, I can never get the oh, song yeah. out of my life. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's I have nothing to do with that. Thank God. <laughs> trust me, I can't get rid of it either. <laughs> I have people send me like dance mixes from Ibiza, where like. It's so wild. I've heard every kind of weird and never-ending story song mix you could think of. Stranger Things. I love that. That was rad. <laughs> yeah, to see Jimmy Kimmel, what was it? Uh, 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 Steve Colbert and... Uh, I don't watch TV, so I write it. I don't know. Uh, who's, the other, uh, who's the other talk show host? They just sang it and they performed it live. Like oh, yeah. two idiots. Yeah. It was hilarious. Yeah, it does. Like, yeah, it's, that shit's funny to me. I just... I forget I'm famous. Or, 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 I, people look insane when I'm out and my friends go, dude, you remember hello, what your job is. Like, oh, I just write. I've just been writing TV shows and trying to produce this TV show I wrote. And that, that literally, like... Just so is that what you're doing in Vegas now? Just kind of... I had to get out of Los Angeles because it's just... Or? Yeah, it's toxic in Vegas. During the pandemic, it was not a happy place to be. Uh, yeah, so I, I got out of Dodge and moved to Vegas, and I just I just stayed home and wrote. And so I wrote a TV show I'm trying to produce right now about, I mean, it's about a lot of stuff, but it's called Homestead Freedom. I kind of about what it sounds like. The title is pretty much what it is, and it's through the eyes of a, of a PTSD Special Forces operator who moves to Wyoming to have some freedom and some solace and ends up neutralizing a active shooter and becomes a celebrity and famous. Local hero. No, a national hero. You know, they're killing all these people at a farmer's market and he stops them and neutralizes them and all the freedom and all the uh, anonymity that he desperately needed and wanted to go be and deal with his PTSD is fucking gone uh, and people start showing up to his homestead for some freedom. And so that's where we're going to go with it. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I've been doing. And it's kind of, we, you know, we have friends. I have, you know, a lot of close friends that are, you know, military, special forces, and, uh, you know, active duty. And, uh, yeah, we don't take care of our, our boys and our women too well. And, you know, when you, when you hear about people having to be on 40 different meds for their PTSD, it's something that's got to be at least spoken about or talked about or at least a dialogue open. And, yeah, man, I, I, uh, there's a lot of other ways, you know, like, yeah, people are taking other things to kind of reset the synapses in their brain and the, and the neuro pathways, and it's it's working, and so I just figure, you know, like, it, it was weird how it happened, and just, the only people I really showed it to up until the point were special forces operators, and they all called me, like, you're spooky, like, how do you know how I feel? You're just an actor, I, I don't... I go, it's bigger than me. I don't know. I just, I just wrote how I feel. Like, I, that's, I just, that's all I can do is write how I feel. I don't care what y'all want to see. Sorry. My, I don't. I care what I want to see. That's how I write. What, how I feel. And they, they all were like really freaked out by it. And they were like, wow, I'm, I'm pale, chilled. I'm back in the shit. And I'm like, 
And they're like, you have to make this movie. And so they, we've been talking to the military about funding and, and uh, we meet some trippy people. Um, yeah, they, 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 one of the guys works for the psychiatry and the physics division of the Special Forces and explained to me why the never-ending story uh, affects, affects people so deeply and there's such a deep connection. Uh, he used it. He actually sought me out and found me at a convention to tell me about this. So he develops artificial intelligence for the military and he fed it the never-ending story to teach it to teach it something that he was having trouble it was having trouble learning and the never ending story has two heroes so two climaxes and so you're twice as invested there's no other like they, they, they fed it like thousands of movies nothing's been nothing's been written like that ever so uh, it learned what it had to and it, and it, and it did, but but he was that, that's kind of in a nutshell why people get so emotionally invested in the movie because like Atreyu did this, this whole thing and then it turns and then Bastion's the hero because all Atreyu had to do was get find the boy to him for him to be invested that's all he had to do so that then he's not the hero anymore now you have John's like wow that's deep I mean how many movies can you can't Trippy. yeah yeah so so whether he was intentionally did it which would have been utterly brilliant because nobody ever did it or it was by happenstance so that's kind of why the never any people go oh it's the horse thing no it's not <laughs> I, tell, I tell you what it is that's what it is so yeah interesting shit well <laughs> speaking of interesting yeah, troll oh no that's not interesting that's funny <laughs> I love troll <laughs> I will never gag at so many people I love troll I mean I get it but uh, yeah it was just fun I mean I just on the never ending story and after you hear that, like, I'm sure you get why I did Troll. Like, it was just stupid and silly and fun. And, you know, I got to spend four months in, at the beach in Italy. So, I went. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was... Hanging out with Phil Fondacaro. I mean, I... I love I, Phil. Yeah, I wish he was guy. doing better. Phil's not doing too good. Oh, no. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, I've known... Like, yeah, we just lost Felix last year. Felix Felix Souza was my stunt double and my stand-in on Battlestar. And we still, up until the, the up until he passed last year, had dinner every year. Wow. <laughs> like, since I'm six years old. Yeah. And he was awesome. I mean, who else? If he were if he were a normal sized dude, he'd he'd have been the biggest star on the planet. He was cousin it. He was it, it, Tweaky. He was he was like every little crate. Like he was in the he was in the Ewoks. He was blah blah blah. Like if he were a big person, yeah, he never got enough credit. And he was like this honorary little tough son of a bitch. I love that dude. He was awesome. Maybe some trippy people. He was great. So I then you know if you want to talk about sushi roll. Sushi was awesome too. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was living in Amsterdam. I wasn't. I was just dealing with the back and just living my life and kind of. I was tattooing a little bit out there. I like Amsterdam during the summer, spring, and fall, but those winters get me. But it's like winter here, you know, thirty below. And yeah. Uh, and so I got a call somehow at three in the morning. Hey, we got a movie that's starring Sonny Chiba. They knew how to get me too. They went straight to the Sonny Chiba because if they had gone Mar, <coughs> Tony, I'd have been like, eh, whatever, I don't give a shit. 
something cheap to me is like the closest thing you could have done to like, hey, we got a movie with Bruce Lee for you to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come, come be. So I go, cool, I'm in. So he had me like, we did some, we did one of the, the, the scenes that three in the morning where I had to scream bloody murder. And so I'm in my flat in Amsterdam screaming bloody murder at 3.30 in the morning, waking neighbors up. Called me back five minutes later. They're like, well, we want to hire you. When can you come out? And I was like, yo, I, go, I could be out in the morning. You send me a ticket. I was just fucking around. I literally was six hours later. I was on a plane. <laughs> and yeah. And then uh, it just, yes, I, I did four or five movies, like at the beginning of like Sushi Girl. And then I did like The Chair and a couple other little, to this really like a art house movie with Jimmy James Duval. Like we went to work on Blue Dream that he was already doing. So he goes, bro, I gotta come to work with me. And I shouldn't have, I should have stayed. <laughs> it was just basically Jimmy naked and all this. It was an art house movie. Like it was a, what's his name? Um, uh, he does, he did like Doom Generation and a bunch of those like art house films. Uh, uh, Greg Iraqi. Something, so. <laughs> and then uh, the back was really bad for a couple of years. So I kind of couldn't do anything. And then finally, and, you know, back surgeries are no joke. They're super, it takes a year and a half each time. And they're, uh, you know, open heart surgery is easier. So about, what was it, 2017, I had two spinal fusions back to back and uh, pretty much fixed most of the shit that I had going on. So yeah, it was like 10 years. I couldn't do nothing. I couldn't do anything. Like I'd slept in a couple of years. I spent two years in a lazy boy recliner because I couldn't lay down flat. So it's had its challenges and, and uh, I guess I'm just an honorary son of a bitch because, you know, yeah, been killed once, tried a couple times. Yeah, just uh, keep on keeping on. That's <laughs> what I like to say, like Joe Durte. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what what's something or some things you have upcoming? You writing for the TV show? That's my you know that's my so I I mean I sing punk music and I kind of been doing that on it for years. Uh, I was supposed to go cut a couple cut a couple um, three or four songs in Detroit with my buddy who used to play for Megadeth. Um, in December, just shit got pushed. Things are closing. You know what I mean? Still then. So um, later this year, we'll probably go do that. Um, we started shooting a documentary a couple months ago uh, Life After well they call it Life After Atreyu which I fucking hate the title but they have a series like Life After Flash Life After Navigator and they're actually they're doing pretty well so they hit me up and I wasn't interested in their their pitch so I they've been hitting me up for like years like four years so finally I go well I'll, I'll tell you what I'm cool to do and if you like it then we'll you know, we'll do that. And I just wanted to go get an RV and get my lady and my dogs uh, and go around America and find little dive bars to gig at and play some punk music. And I have friends around, like my buddy's building me a chopper in Florida. So we we're going to go wrench on a bike for a couple of days. And then my other buddy knocked out Kimbo Slice when he came to the UFC. So I'm going to go train with him for a couple of days. And we we're just going to videotape it. But gas is like seven bucks and, you know, it's they don't have eight million dollars to do a documentary, so we put, we're gonna postpone it a couple months, and then my uh, my service dog passed, so that was it was our last thing. So, so we yeah we didn't get to do that. We're we're gonna probably do it after summer, you know, just wait. And then I got the to the I have a, a movie I'm trying to get financed right that right you know pretty much now that I wrote a coming of age movie. I don't even get that's a I, I can't even tell it without like trying. It's it's deep. It's it's. 
It was supposed to, it came out as supposed to be a feel-good movie. It ain't a, well, <laughs> the beginning's not and the end's not. The whole rest of the movie is like this amazing feel-good movie, like this coming of age, and then it just kicks you in the dick at the end. And I literally, I, I was, I, I was telling a, a producer friend of mine, uh, I was kind of pitching it to her a couple days ago, and I'm on the phone crying. I like, I can't get through pitching it. So I'm not going to tell you the pitch, guy. I'm not crying today. <laughs> but it, it, it just hit so many crazy chords in people that I have a friend, Two Pistols. He's like a Grammy rapper, right? You know, but he's all thugged out, and he wanted to hear about it. So it was him and his boys all thugged out in grills, and <laughs> at the end, they're crying. They're like, ah, they got up and ran around. They're like, that's fucking dope. <laughs> But just to see that reaction from, you know, all the, like, hard gangsters, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm doing, man. Is I, I was just trying to touch people. Not in that way. <laughs> Emotionally and with content as much as I can and be authentic in my own life as much as I can. Because if you can't do that, you don't got really much at all. So, you know, to me it's about being authentic and showing people like this is how I feel how I see things and that's all I can do you know and that's how I've been writing and that's kind of what I you know choose to I kind of choose to live my life like that it's hard but yeah I just yeah man I try to just be authentic period everything starts and ends for that I guess every morning when I get up so I don't know you know try to be that way with people with yeah life's too short not to be and I guess you know if you're not being authentic you're living, you're living someone else's idea of your life for you. And so I felt that like, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I write. And that's my, I think right now that's the most important thing is just getting this, this TV show, whether it's just out there, whether it goes to PBS or, you know, I don't care where, as long as it gets out, because then maybe it'll, it'll have legs and people will start talking about whatever. So your family like relocated with you and your career and stuff as you've grown and years have gone on. Are you still close with your family? Did they land my, in California? I, I mean, I have a sister. My parents are past. I have a sister in, in the Gold Coast uh, in Australia. And then my half-sister, Beth, is a famous special effects makeup artist. But I, I haven't seen her in fuck. She's always on a movie. I never see her. Like, they, special effects people work like crazy hours. and Yeah. Uh, yeah, so no. So you make your own family. So I got my family behind you, and uh, we got three ferrets and, and little my little Mary Jane, and she's still plugging along. And uh, yeah. Viewers, open up for questions. If anybody has any questions, y'all want, or we can just go peace and like <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> yeah, questions if you want. Are you still connected with anybody from this movie? I see the princess uh, a couple times a year. We might do like we'll, we're doing one in, in Edinburgh at the end of in October together. Uh, that's just cool. It's funny we do like uh, our panels are funny because she's super light. Blonde. Well, I'm fucking. Well, blonde, really? <laughs> I forgot about that. Never th in my all my years thought blonde hair, but I love it. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> um, and blondes do have more fun. Uh, She's like this goody goody. She's so nice. I, I adore her. She's super positive, light, and I'm like, oh my, exactly. <laughs> and it's funny. So we have this, and it's just not a, it's it's not a like a, 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 a fabricated dynamic. It just is what it is, you know. And and uh, I'm salty and old, and 
she's super, super sweet. So we just have this funny, like, <laughs> like banter all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll see her later this year. So, do you do a lot of com? Sorry, do you do a lot of cons? Do you do a lot of the circuit or just wow, now this and then? La- during the pandemic? I have because <laughs> no other guests would, would no other guests would travel. <laughs> Everybody was so horrified of, of of you know whatever of the boogeyman, and you know they stay home and not live their life. But I rode. I, I still ride motorcycles. I, I rode for I, my whole life. You know, you walk out that door, it's a coin toss. You might get hit. You might not come back. So it, statistically, it was a hell of a lot more dangerous than flying. So I just was been everywhere. Every weekend, I've been somewhere. This last year and a half. So, and people seemed like they were really, really appreciative of it. Like they needed it. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I was very happy when the column started opening up again. Absolutely. Not this online stuff. Absolutely. There's, there's a whole. <laughs> it's litany. so different. To there's me. a whole litany of things that people don't talk about. You know, all the mental that people are. You know, I mean, I had two of my friends blow their heads off during the pandemic. I mean, my childhood. We were we were friends twenty years. I go. He's Russian. He's dramatic. He had to, you know, all over the place. So. <laughs> we, I have dark sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, most of my friends are like fighters or special forces, especially since I've been writing this thing for the last couple of years. And uh, but we, you know, they have really, well, you know, when you see the stuff that they see, you have to compartmentalize it somehow. And you know, real dark sense of humor is one way, and they all have it. Like, I mean, man, the stuff they see, <laughs> jokes they tell me, I'll. It's even hard on me, but yeah, uh, that's one. Was it um, uh, scary to get up there on the wagon? Yeah, it was because they have they, they have to shoot it from far away, so you have to be up there. And when it would, so they had boxes and some pads, but it was probably still fifteen feet from the pads, and it would overheat and start going crazy. And so I got tossed off four or five times before they added the, the oh poop bar you know what I mean the oh poop handle but it, it was fun after the first couple you know then I had a good time but yeah it was scary <laughs> what was your favorite scene to shoot in the writing story uh, ooh, that's a good one I like the uh, two of them uh, getting well partially getting blown out of the tree was fun for the first couple of times <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, we still there's still a debate. I'm gonna see what happens when the documentary comes out because uh, they interviewed Wolfgang. But yeah, he'd like 50, 40, 50 takes on stuff, and then we would argue because he'd want something, and I'd be like, "Oh no, that's not right." Like I just when you're I don't know, I was just opinionated, and I felt like certain things should be done certain ways. Good for me, you know what I mean? Like I'm not a pushover, so we there's ten more takes because we would argue. So yeah, you do eighty takes of getting blown out of a twelve foot tree. <laughs> Oh, my neck. And yeah, and then you have to, between takes, go take a shower. They have to go muddy you up how you match you before. So it was, you know, mud, shower, mud, lay. Yeah, it was. <laughs> my skin was soft as hell, though. <laughs> That's why my skin's still soft. <laughs> Any other questions? So you really didn't have a lot of scenes with other people in that movie. What was, was that me. like? That was. It was just, yeah. I, I mean, I, I had a bunch of people. There were there were characters literally there with 20 people under the stage. And so they were there. If I had just been me on a green screen, uh, I ought to please kill me now. But 
you really legit had these wonderful characters like the Rothbiter and you know what I mean? Like he they they had a guy in there and he was big and they had the voice and so made it a lot uh just made it a lot easier. I want that t shirt and took it off for the <laughs> <laughs> Roll you out in the parking so lot for the t shirt. <laughs> anybody oh. else have anything? <laughs> Go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. And that was uh, Noah Hathaway's story from Noah Hathaway. Yeah. Straight from from the horse's mouth. Is No, the horse went down in the Oh, bottom. yes, that's right. Yeah, so it was it was uh, Atreyu's mouth. Atreyu's mouth. Yeah. The horse went down in the, the bog of stench. No, it was the bog of eternal sorrow. Oh, the bog of eternal stench sorrow. Yes. Well, I guess sorrow, sorrow, stench, sorrow stinks. It does. Yeah. Sorrow does stink. So yeah, it was probably the same place. It could have been. Maybe it was just like a, maybe it was a neighboring bog. Could have been a neighboring bog, and the Goblin King with his giant codpiece, cod, giant codpiece, was next door watching everything go down. Yeah. He's like, "What the fuck's going on over at Fantasia?" Yeah. I don't know. I got my baby stuff to take care of. Yeah. Hmm. He doesn't remind me of the babe. <laughs> the babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. Voodoo? Voodoo! You do. All right, that's getting silly. It is. <laughs> it's getting uh, it's getting weird. It's getting weird. So, Which is fine. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, yeah, that was a show. And great time. Loved it. Uh, hopefully we we get to go back. And, yeah, get to see, get, actually get to interact more with Noah whenever we see him again, if we see him again. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we will because he's kind of making the convention rounds and we go to these conventions yeah. so i'm sure we're gonna cross paths again um but yeah hopefully uh you know if, if you guys have a uh you know a convention around the you know nebraska ish area midwest midwest area that you know we can venture to because i'm not you're driving i'm not driving, yeah so, so i don't care where we go right <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah we, hopefully we can uh, attend more because that was a blast yeah and uh yeah so yeah if you want to Interact with us. Tell us what you thought of the show. You can get a hold of us. Uh, we have uh, email. Email. Uh, Retropowerhour at, at gmail.com. Gmail. Yes, at gmail.com. I'm surprised I remembered that one. That was a good one. It was. I don't know the phone number. Uh, the phone number is 669-B-Retro. B-Retro. Well, I'm not going to go through. Just spell it out. Yeah, it's on our, on our Facebook. It's on our Facebook. It's, it's on the show notes, I think. Maybe not. I think we have another, we have another thing, too, I think, don't we? Oh, the Anchor app. If you want to yes. jump on the Anchor app, you can leave us a, a voice message there. And make sure you're checking out the Electronic Media Collective at electronicmediacollective.com for all kinds of great shows. You've heard bumpers and you've heard advertisements for them. Great, great uh, group of folks there and a lot of great shows. Before we go. Yes. We did not. Oh, shit. We did not do our Gene Simmons break or some sort of break. Do you want to do Gene Simmons or you do, do you want to do a different one? Let's do a different one. Uh, how about a David Bowie break? David Bowie break works. Yeah, we'll do a David Bowie break right here. Ground control to Major Tom. And there was David Bowie. And then here's the never-ending story. Yeah, never-ending story. Here we here we go. So never-ending story. Ah, uh, maybe we should let somebody else sing it. Yeah, because my facial features hurt when I did that. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of bizarre. It was. So, <laughs> but it was meant to be. If we were on TV, that would have been perfect. It would have been great. Yep. Yeah. 
So, for the Retro Renegades Pop Culture Power, I'm Mikey. I'm Corey. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye, Corey. Goodbye, Corey. Your facial features. <laughs> you got a face for radio, brother. I do. See ya. See ya. Turn around. Look at what you see.